this morning. We're uh, happy that uh, Pastor Laren Zorhoff uh, is able to come and help us worship this morning. We're thankful for uh, his ability to do so, and we welcome him at this time. difficult time in Peter's life. Today we're going to be looking at his restoration uh, following the resurrection of Jesus and his meeting with the disciples again. Uh, we read that story in John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. 
you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the disciples, among the believers, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, today we're going to look at an, a, monument event, a monumental event that took place in the life of the disciple Peter. He went from being failure-prone to being a man of courage and conviction, ministering with power, leading with authority, providing guidance and direction for the New Testament church. How did this dramatic change from a person who denied Jesus to a person who become, became a leader in the Christian church, how did this dramatic change take place? How did it all happen? Well, for one thing, Peter was able to do that because he chose to stay in the game. He didn't quit because of his failure. Judas, you know, denied Jesus and, and betrayed him and went out in his despair and committed suicide. But Peter didn't do that. Peter stayed with it. Peter stayed in the game. He dealt with his downfall differently. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus who made a difference in the world. Peter experienced that dramatic turnaround in his life because he found a new source of power. He found power in God's forgiveness. He found power in being a team player. And he found power in the overpowering, problem-solving, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, which came upon him in a wonderful and tremendous way. 
Peter rose on that first Pentecost Sunday to preach to the people who had gathered in Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and upon the disciples. And Peter stood to speak to that large crowd of people that were gathered there in Jerusalem. And he preached a powerful sermon on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that powerful sermon, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people committed their lives to Jesus and were admitted into the Christian church by the sacrament of baptism. What a transformation that has taken place in Peter's life. In just 54 days, he denied his Lord, and then 54 days later, he preached that powerful sermon that caused a tremendous influence upon the, the Christian church as it was in the early stages of its beginning. Peter's denial of Christ is one of those events that appears in all four of the Gospels. As you probably are well aware of, the Gospel writers don't always tell the same story in the same way. There are some things that are mentioned in one Gospel that are not mentioned in the other. To give you an example, the birth of Jesus, for example, is dealt with extensively by Luke in his gospel. He tells about the events that, that took place with regard to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, whereas John doesn't even make much of a reference to that at all. Some gospels tell the story in slightly different ways, even though they don't contradict each other. They just have a different emphasis on various things that they want to communicate. Some stories are in one gospel, some are in two, some are in three, and some are in all four. For example, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 is found in all four gospels. Another thing that is found in all four gospels is the denial of Peter on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. All of the gospels recorded that story, and because Peter was a profound leader within the early Christian church, I think there's a reason why that story of his denial is told for the Christians to remember. First of all, it's a reminder of the fact that even the greatest among us can have their times of failure, their times of difficulty. And secondly, no matter how big your failure and difficulty may be, there is still the opportunity for you to experience a comeback. Peter and the other disciples now find themselves in Galilee. Jesus, you know, had already communicated to the disciples uh, following his resurrection. He appeared to the, to the women at the, the grave uh, and told them about uh, his wonderful resurrection uh, through the angel that appeared to Mary and the others. He appeared to Peter later on on Easter Sunday. And even though we don't know a lot about what happened in that meeting, uh, Luke and Paul tell us that Jesus did meet with Peter and most likely reinstated him into the disciples because uh, when Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room, Peter was among them. So apparently his, his part uh, with the disciples had been already reinstated by Peter. By, by Jesus. But now Jesus wants to do that in a more public way. 
The meeting on Easter Sunday with Peter is not told to us in detail, so we don't know just how that happened, although it must have been a, a painful experience for proud Peter. But now Jesus wants to reinstate Peter in the presence of the other disciples because he is going to have a leadership role to play in the life of the early Christian church. The disciples are sitting there waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus has told them that he is going to meet them in Galilee. He's already appeared to them twice in the upper room. Now he's going to meet them in their familiar setting in Galilee where they were accustomed to fishing on the sea. Jesus didn't come as soon as the disciples expected him to come. For some reason, his coming was delayed as far as they were concerned. And I get the impression that time was hanging heavily on their hands. They were wondering what they ought to do. And Peter, bold and impressive and, and impulsive, suddenly jumped up and said, as he saw that boat that they had used for fishing for so many years with the nets folded and, and stored away, Peter announced to the other disciples, I'm going to fish. And the other disciples all followed his lead, and they joined with him. They toiled all night long, just like in the old days, with the nets played out astern as they swept back and forth along the drop-off point, the little boat groaning and creaking in the darkness. But they caught nothing. And as the eastern sky shaded into light gray, and the first tints of bright salmon began to appear on the horizon. The disciples decided to give it up and pack it in. They were tired. They were hungry. They had not been able to catch anything all night long. And so they pulled for home. And it didn't help their mood any when a voice called out to them, from the misty shore. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, someone said rather shortly with a hint of annoyance in his voice. And then the man on the shore called back to them, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. For a moment the disciples sat there in the stillness of the dawn. The only sound, the gentle lapping of the water along the hull. And then came a shrug as they tossed that net over the right side of the boat. And as they did so, it began to play out suddenly and was alive with fish, 153 of them to be exact, big ones, as John the Gospel writer later says precisely. Many years afterward, that old man could remember precisely all the details of that morning on the Sea of Galilee. He remembered it almost as if it was yesterday. As the other disciples strained to haul in that load of fish and were unable to do so, they simply had to drag it along behind the boat with them. John began to look more closely at that figure on the shore that had called out to them. And then something dawned on his mind. He remembered something that happened three years 
before that time when they were fishing. And a stranger had called out to them from the shore and told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, on the right side of the boat. And they did so, and a miraculous catch of fish was the result. That brought back the memory that John needed to have. And, and so he whispered to Peter, It is the Lord. Whereupon, in typical fashion, Peter jumped out, leaped into the water, and swam to the shore. The other disciples followed along in the boat, dragging the net that was too heavy to be pulled into the boat with them. And when they were all together on the shore, they sat down, and Jesus offered them breakfast. He had prepared this breakfast for him with fish and bread. We're not told much about what went on there at that breakfast. Apparently, the disciples perhaps were a bit awkward uh, in the presence of somebody who had died and rose again. They really couldn't feel real comfortable in the presence of the supernatural. But they were there, and they knew it was Jesus. And they were thankful for the opportunity to reconnect with him, even though they found that situation to be a bit awkward. It was kind of a quiet breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then when the meal was finished, Jesus spoke to Peter. Jesus had some work that needed to be done. Already he had been reinstated into the position as one of the disciples, but it had been done quietly. Now it was going to be done publicly. And so in the presence of the 12 disciples, Jesus has some words that he wants to share with Peter. Jesus has to reinstate Peter into this position of leadership that he needed to grab hold of with all of his heart. Peter had failed privately, but he had also failed publicly. And Jesus had plans for him. As far as Jesus was concerned, Peter was still the rock. As far as Jesus was concerned, Peter was the one to whom he had said, on this rock I will build my church. In this conversation, Jesus reinstates Peter and he explains that what his life is going to be like now is going to be different than it was before because Peter is about to make a comeback. He's going to play the second half of his life different than he played the first half. What Jesus said to Peter applies to you and to me as well. Because Jesus gave to Peter a game plan for the rest of his life, a game plan that you and I can apply to our own lives as well. If you want your life to be turned around, if you want to make a comeback, there are three things that you need to do, the same three things that Peter had to do. The first one is focus on loving Jesus. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. More than these refers to the other disciples. Do you love me more than they do? 
Why do you think Jesus asked that question? Perhaps it was because Peter was the one who had said earlier in his boastful attitude, even if everybody else falls away, I will not. When Jesus asked Peter this question, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds by saying, feed my lambs. Jesus is teaching us here that love is more than just a feeling. Love is an action. Love is something that you do. Love is something that has to be displayed in concrete, tangible ways. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and then he followed that up by this command. Take care of my people. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's the second point that we're going to focus on. The first point is remembering that our primary obligation as followers of Jesus is to love him. That is job number one for the Christian. We must be in love with Jesus. More than anything else, the Christian life is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. In his book, The Case for Faith, Lee Strobel tells about a meeting that he had with Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a famous evangelist who spoke to many people, crowds as many as 10,000 at a time. Sometimes he would go on crusades with Billy Graham and they would share the pulpit and they would proclaim the gospel of salvation by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. Charles Templeton was a famous preacher, but as time went along, he began to have some doubts creeping into his heart and his mind. He began to have questions about the reliability of the scriptures, about heaven and hell, about evolution versus creation, and all sorts of other things that uh, came into his mind. And eventually, he stopped preaching altogether. And in 1996, he wrote a book called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. When Lee Strobel began writing his book, he decided that it would be good to interview Templeton so that he could get some up-to-date information as to why this man, who had such an influence in his early life, turned his back on the Christian faith and walked away from it. They debated some of the points at first, and, and then Lee Strobel asked Templeton what he thought of Jesus personally. And Templeton said he was the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. He was intrinsically the wisest person I have ever met or ever read about. And Strobel replied, it sounds as if you care deeply about him. And Templeton said, yes, everything good I know Everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Then the old man's voice cracked as tears came to his eyes. And he said slowly and deliberately, 
I miss Jesus. The Christian life is first and foremost a love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants first of all from you. He wants you to love him. When Jesus reinstated Peter, he didn't ask him, are you sorry for denying me three times? Are you ashamed of yourself? Do you promise that you're never going to do anything like that again? No, Jesus didn't ask those questions. But he did ask the most important one. And that question is this. Do you love me? And he asked that question of Peter three times. The first two times he asked that question, he used the Greek form of the word agape, the verb form of the Greek word agape, which is the highest form of self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Peter, do you love me? And Peter, in response, said, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter used a different word for love. He used the word filio, which refers to friendship love or, or brotherly love. And so the third time Jesus asked the question, he used the same word Peter used. Peter, do you love me with a brotherly love, with a friendship kind of love? And Peter responded by saying, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus knows what is in your heart. He knows whether you love him or not. He knows whether you would like to love him more, and he knows if you would like to establish a greater relationship of intimacy with him. Jesus knows all of those things, but right now, if you want to have a good relationship with Jesus, if you need to have a turnaround in your life, this is the way you need to start. You need to focus on loving Jesus with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's where a turnabout starts, by loving Jesus. That brings us to the second point, focus on serving others. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and Peter said yes. And each time Jesus followed that up with a command. Jesus said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Here's a principle for making a comeback. Your life as a Christian is now about serving others, about taking care of others, regardless of what it was about yesterday. Whether your life was involved in making money or having fun or being successful or enjoying hunting or fishing or football or music or whatever your hobbies may be, whatever your life was involved in prior to this time, regardless of what you lived for yesterday, today the focus of your life is to be on serving others. Jesus put it in these words. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your role as a Christian is now that of a servant. And your attitude must be, 
what can I do for you? When you go to church on Sunday, ask yourself, is there somebody here that I can minister to in some way? Look for someone to serve. When you go to work on Monday morning, ask yourself, is there someone here that I can help and, and reach out to and, and minister to? Is there someone here I can serve? Because your life is now about being a servant. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be. But one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are the ones who have sought and found how to serve. Look for ways to serve. Look for ways to take care of people, to reach out to them. With every person you meet, ask this question. If not in words, in your attitude, what can I do for you? To turn things around, you need to focus on loving Jesus. And then you need to focus on serving others. And that brings us to our third point. You need to focus on staying focused. Jesus told Peter that he would live a hard life. And then he said to him, follow me. And in the next verse, verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is the disciple John, was following them. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Isn't that classic? Isn't Peter just like us? He says, what about him? You told me that I was going to have a hard life, a difficult life. What about him? Is he going to have a hard life too? Is he going to have to suffer also for the cause of Christ? If we're not careful, we can lose focus on what we should be doing by becoming focused on what somebody else is doing. And there are some people who can't do their job effectively because they're simply worried about everyone else. But successful people know how to focus on their own responsibilities. They know how to stay focused on getting their own job done, and they're not prone to petty jealousies or office gossip. If you want to experience a comeback, then focus on staying focused. And that's a nice way of saying don't be a busybody. Don't stick your neck into something that is another person's responsibility. Just do your job. Life is far too difficult to spend it meddling. Jesus said to Peter in verses 18 and 19, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would die, by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is interesting Jesus says to Peter, you will have a hard life and you will die for me. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say to Peter, Peter, you're going to preach to thousands of people. 
He didn't say, Peter, you are going to lay hands on people and they will be healed. He didn't say, Peter, you are going to witness awesome miracles. He didn't say, Peter, you are going to change the course of human history. He didn't say, Peter, your words are going to be read by millions of people over the next 2,000 years. All those things are true. But what Peter needed now was to keep his perspective on his own life and to focus on his own calling along with some of the difficulties that would come his way in the process. And in the same way, God has great things in store for you. In fact, if you're willing to be completely devoted to him, then a single glimpse of the glory he has in store for you is probably more than you are able to endure right now. He has great things in store for you. But that's not what you need to remember. Right now you need to remember that there is going to be a price that you need to pay. There's going to be a price for following Jesus. It's not necessarily going to be an easy life. Just because you're a devoted follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life just around the bend. There will be some heartaches. There will be some trials. There will be some difficulties. There will be some setbacks. But ultimately, there will be victory. Ultimately, God will be glorified. And ultimately, you will bask in the victory that only he can give. Do you want to make a comeback? There's a price that has to be paid. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. Peter went from despair to hope. He went from defeat to victory. He went from a place of defeat and failure to be to a place of success and triumph. And it all happened in a fairly short period of time. Just 54 days have elapsed from the time that Peter denied his Lord on the evening of Jesus' crucifixion and that Pentecost Sunday when under the power of the Holy Spirit Peter stood and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people were added to the church that day by way of baptism. The key principle in making a comeback is that you've got to stay in the game. You've got to stay engaged in the process because the only person God can't use is a person who quits. So if you're serious about staying in the game, then you, like Peter, need to experience the power of God, the power of forgiveness, the power of being a team player, and the power of of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And if you're ready to make a comeback, then you need to be focused. Get focused on loving Jesus because that's the most important thing Jesus wants from you. He wants you to love him with all your heart. Secondly, get focused on serving others because that's what we are Christians are called to do. We are called to be servants to those around us. And thirdly, we have to focus on staying focused. 
Don't let anything take your eyes off what God has called you to do. And if you will give yourself to Jesus, and if you will trust him to work his power in and through you, just as he did through Peter, he can give to you the comeback of a lifetime. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of Peter, a man who had great potential, a man who was called to be a leader, and yet when the chips were down and the crisis was there, he failed his Lord by denying him three times. But thank you that he stayed in the game. And thank you that Jesus was willing to forgive him and restore him publicly before the other disciples and call him to a place of leadership in the church so that he could preach that powerful sermon on Pentecost Sunday that resulted in the conversion of 3,000 people who were added to the church that day. Thank you for all that Peter was able to accomplish in the life of the early Christian church. And we pray that each of us, whatever our situation may be, may follow his example by focusing our attention on the game plan that was set before him. To love Jesus with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then to focus on serving the people that God has placed around us. And then to keep focus, our focus on being focused at whatever it is God has called us to do so that we too can make a contribution to God's kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.